Hello everyone, and welcome to Downsizing, the podcast where we try and figure out when The Office actually ended, because everyone would have been fired. My name is Curtis, and I'll be your host, and with me is my co-host and resident office expert, Antoinette. Hi everyone. Today we will be discussing Season 5, Episode 18, Golden Ticket. In this episode, Michael channels his inner Willy Wonka, Kevin looks for dating advice, and Dwight gets thrown under the bus. This cold open really kind of sets the tone for how Michael is going to be in the entire episode. We see Pam on the phone talking to someone, and Michael comes out and is just like a little child who doesn't recognize that someone is busy and just has something they want to say. And so they just try and say it, even though the person they are trying to say it to can't respond because they're doing something else. So Michael, in this case, again, very much like a child, has a knock-knock joke he wants to tell Pam. (laughs) When Pam is finally off the phone, which Michael makes more difficult than it needs to be because she's giving the client or whomever she's speaking with the fax number and then Michael just starts saying random numbers to throw her off and probably confuse the person on the phone Michael's finally able to give his joke and in response to who's there he says Buddha and when Pam says Buddha who he smacks down a piece of bread and just an open stick of butter with a plastic knife onto Pam's desk and says, Buddha, my bread, which isn't even really that funny. No. (laughs) And Dwight has come over from his desk to stand behind Michael and sort of observe with the, he gets this goofy look on his face sometimes when he thinks Michael is being amusing. And so he tries his hand at a knock-knock joke to Michael impersonating the KGB in which when Michael tries to ask the who's there part or whatever, Dwight slaps him in the face and says, we will ask the questions in more of a German than a Russian accent, but it's kind of hard. Yeah, nobody really nails the Russian accent here because Jim immediately follows this up with a knock-knock joke of his own in which he is the KGB. And seeing exactly what happened just now, neither Michael nor Dwight are too keen on answering the door. And so they argue back and forth as to who is going to answer the door, and Jim finally just slaps Dwight, saying, again, in a not very good Russian accent, the KGB will wait for no one. Side note, if you've not ever watched The Americans, you should definitely do it. It's really good, and it's based off of the Cold War in the 1980s. And because they're sticking true, they have actual Russians on the show. Although, to be fair, Carrie Russell and Matthew Reese, who neither of whom are Russian, do struggle a little bit with speaking Russian. Getting into the episode, this episode's kind of just okay, I guess. Uh, Starts off right off the bat, we get right into it. Michael comes into the office. He's dressed up as Willy Wonka with a top hat and a purple velvet jacket. Because he has come up with this golden ticket idea. 
And this idea is, it's not a terrible idea. What it is is that he decided a couple days ago that he would put golden tickets into random boxes and the customer that found the ticket would get 10% off their next order. It's a little unclear if it's their next order, their orders always. I think it said says later in the episode it's the full year. Okay, that's right. You're okay. I had that. Yes, ten percent off for a full year, which is a lot. That's a lot, um, because depending on what you're ordering, I mean, even if you're ordering two hundred dollars of paper, that's twenty bucks. That's gonna come to a pretty big amount for the Scranton branch over time, depending on who's getting these golden tickets. And Michael is really trying to pat himself on the back for this. He has a conference room meeting with pretty much everybody trying to find the next golden ticket idea. The next idea that is going to kind of generate some buzz for Dunder Mifflin. And Side note, Michael is really pumping himself up here uh, for coming up with this golden ticket idea. It is worth noting, though, he didn't come up with the idea. He just took it from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. like And applied it to yeah, paper sales. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not like he's the first person to send out these golden ticket things. People have golden ticket promos all the time right it's essentially just a coupon idea yeah dressed up as some as a pretty prominent piece of pop culture and like curtis said michael is just so wanting like a pat on the back and to kick off this idea session he's written on the big pad of paper marketing greatness michael as though that's going to really spark more inspiration for people. And he doesn't, he's not getting a lot. He doesn't like how the session's going because he says, you know, and a, a good idea is simple. Two words, golden ticket. And so he's not really letting anyone actually talk. He's just inflating his sense of self. Yeah. Jim actually does come up with a good, good idea. He says that Dunder Mifflin should buy their own delivery trucks and then they could rent them out on the weekends for an extra income flow and as he is explaining this michael cuts him off because like nope too many words it's got to be quick it's got to be flashy and so as usual michael just really is lost in this moment and doesn't really know what he is talking about it turns out however that michael's idea may not have been so great after all Jim gets a phone call from one of his clients saying that they found one of the golden tickets. And Michael comes in and is still like very much working the Willy Wonka character until Jim tells him who the client was that found the golden ticket. And that is Blue Cross of Pennsylvania, which apparently is one of Dunder Mifflin's largest clients. And so Michael right away realizes that 10% of their business could end up being a lot of money lost for the company. Right, over the course of the whole year. And he goes instantly to Oscar to ask how much of a hit that would be. And Oscar confirms 
that's a big amount. That's, you know, one of our biggest customers, 10% is going to hurt. As Jim continues the conversation with his client, it turns out that Blue Cross of Pennsylvania got all five of the golden tickets in their most recent shipment. So they technically have 50% off for the year because Jim asked, does it say limit one per customer? It does not. There are no limitations whatsoever on this promotion. And everyone becomes instantly worried. 50% of sales, like for Jim says, that's 50% of his business. They're not paying out that money. It's not coming into Dunder Mifflin. He's not getting the commission on that. It doesn't look great. Michael already starts trying to figure out who he can put blame on for this situation occurring. So he goes down to the warehouse. We do get a check-in with Daryl and he blames Daryl for how this came to be saying, calling Daryl an idiot a couple of times, asking Daryl how it was possible that all five of those golden ticket coupons could have ended up in the same shipment. And Daryl asks Michael, were all the boxes near each other? And Michael's like, that's irrelevant. And so Michael kind of sees that this really might come back on him and bite him in the ass. So he is doing his best to distance himself from this idea, going so far as to throwing away the Willy Wonka costume that he was wearing. As word starts to spread that Dunder Mifflin is going to take this big hit, David Wallace is trying to call Michael. Yes, because Jim did let Michael know, I will be calling corporate to tell them that I was not the one that lost 50% of my sales. I'm not responsible for this. And so at this moment, I think it's important for us to talk about how Michael clearly went rogue a little bit on this and didn't get any clearance from corporate, marketing, legal, accounting, like anything. He clearly created these coupons on his own accord, put them in the boxes, and just went with it. The I can't imagine the 10% off for an entire year would have flown with David or any of the other C-suite if that had been floated to them. Also, if it had gone through legal, they would have said, they would have put all kinds of limitations, such as the limit one per customer doesn't apply to, you know, anything over such and such amount. It would have limited the scope of the coupon probably pretty greatly. They also probably would have told them, okay, let's figure out what the shipment schedule is. Let's figure out, let's do one per week, whatever the case may be, so that you don't end up in a situation where all are going to your biggest customer. Because as Daryl said, so much paper goes to Blue Cross of Pennsylvania every single week. So Michael is trying to duck David Wallace. Pam says that Michael has given her a list of excuses to give people when he is not wanting to talk to people as to reasons why he is out of the office. And so she runs through a couple of these until Michael can't really get around him anymore and is forced to talk to him and David is rather upset obviously and Michael is doing his best again to distance himself from this and get his 
you know, name off of this. And first he says that they hired an external marketing consultant and David knows that's a lie. And so Michael says that maybe he was an internal marketing consultant and David just keeps asking questions and eventually Michael pins this on Dwight. It's pretty bad. Michael doesn't even seem to consider the idea. And so because he's told David that this was Dwight's idea, he now has to convince Dwight to take the fall for him. He calls Dwight into his office and says, hey, your golden ticket idea was so great. He just starts this spin on him. You know, how'd you come up with that? And Dwight's like, what are you talking about? You told us how many times ad nauseum that this was your great idea. You came dressed as Willy Wonka. You were playing this whole thing up. And Michael tries to gaslight him saying, no, you did this. You told me how much you loved the movie as a child. And that's the inspiration. And Dwight immediately can counter that and says he wasn't allowed to eat candy or watch movies as a child. So he wouldn't have identified with that. He wouldn't have really known what that was. That wouldn't have been an inspiration point for him. Michael then tries to play up Dwight's admiration for him and says, you know, what are you doing for lunch? Do you want to have lunch with me? And they go out on a walk and Michael's still trying to convince Dwight they're so close. Whatever Dwight's thinking, Michael knows what it is. And Dwight's like, okay, what am I thinking right now? Of course, Michael can't say. He's just worried, he being Michael, that he just needs to clear his name. So then he tries this tactic of telling Dwight how much that he doesn't need the Dunder Mifflin job, how he can just farm his beet farm or, you know, sow his wild oats. He's really being restricted by Dunder Mifflin. He has so much out there for him, but Michael doesn't have the same, that he'd be lost without the job. He really just needs Dwight to fall on his sword and get fired for this, which is just absolutely crazy considering Michael is the manager. Michael also told the documentary crew one-on-one and in filmed meetings how much he thought this was the greatest idea ever, where he came up with it, how he did it, etc. There's a lot of documented evidence that, you know, wouldn't work in Michael's favor in this instance. And so it's just, it's really, it's pretty sad and embarrassing that this is how Michael's choosing to play this. Everything really comes to a head when David Wallace makes a surprise visit to the Scranton branch. And when Michael sees David walk in the doorway, he has Dwight rush into his office so they can have this conversation all together. And when David confronts Dwight about this golden ticket idea, it is kind of in a way that he's just kind of confirming that it was Dwight's idea because he then immediately kind of flips the script and says that the Blue Cross of Pennsylvania was so thrilled with this promotion that they have decided to make Dunder Mifflin their exclusive office supply provider. I'm 
a little confused on this because it's unclear what else Dunder Mifflin sells besides paper. Like if it's, you know, staples and paper clips and post-it notes and things like that. It's not clear if Dunder Mifflin wasn't already providing all their paper needs, you know, what else they're getting from Dunder Mifflin that would make this such a huge add-on that will overcome 50% off for the entire year. Yeah, I have to imagine it's just paper and paper-related products, so envelopes, folders, paper clips, things like that, yeah. And so now that this is a good thing, Michael obviously has had a change of heart as to wanting the credit for all of this. Yeah, he's fuming a little bit in that Dwight won't give it up now. David brings Dwight out in front of everybody and just is congratulating Dwight in person, in public, and has Pam arrange a meeting with the marketing department in corporate to take place in the conference room. And Michael tries to like shoehorn himself in there. And Jim is like, has been egging this on the entire time. And it's just like, no, I don't think so. Like, this sounds like it's just for big Wonka fans and says that Michael has never even seen the movie. Jim had encouraged Dwight to not go forward with Michael's plan and just says, Michael wouldn't do the same for you. He has the opportunity to do it now. He's not doing it. And so Jim and Pam really play up this fact of, Michael wanted Dwight to take the credit for it, to take the fall for it. Now he's getting the credit and they're really playing that up for David's benefit to make it worse on Michael, but also just to sort of be like, this is what happens when you can't take responsibility for your own actions. So David, Dwight, and Pam all go into the conference room for this call with the marketing department. And as they are talking about things, Somebody stops the call and just asks if there's a dog in the room because they can hear panting. (laughs) And we see that Michael is listening in to this call from his phone in his office. And this meeting is kind of confusing and it really just kind of shows like where Dwight is in all of this in that he was thinking he was probably going to get fired and now he's getting credit for this thing that he didn't even come up with. And so it seems like this this meeting is to kind of see where Dwight like got the inspiration from and to maybe kind of get a look into what other ideas he has for promotional things for Dunder Mifflin. And Dwight spends the entire time just weirdly talking about the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory movie. Yeah, it's a it's sort of a weirdly put together marketing meeting as well, like comes together in 10 minutes and maybe Dwight doesn't have any other ideas. Like it it was sort of an odd thing, but the whole point of it in the show is for Michael to get to the point where he can't take it anymore so that he burst into the conference room where Pam's taking notes. David and Dwight are on the conference call with the marketing team and Michael just starts yelling, it wasn't his idea. You know, I made him decide to take the fall when you got mad about it. Like basically confesses to the whole thing. 
David's just like, what the heck? You know, the typical stuff. It's kind of like with the stress relief episodes where he's dealing with Dwight and Michael after the fallout of the fire drill. So David just kind of closes the meeting and leaves. He's he's very much taken aback as to the incompetence going on in this branch. It's not the first time he has seen it in the last couple weeks. It has been very, very evident this season. And that's just kind of where this storyline wraps up. It, it just varies abruptly close but we will kind of see some fallout of this in the next episode yeah it it's a bit of an odd storyline in some respects it's a bit jumbled in the end no one comes off looking good because Dwight went along with it to sort of get back at Michael and then Michael couldn't take it and and it's so petty like this is the worst of Michael we haven't seen him be this sort of vindictive and mean-spirited earlier this season when he's trying to frame Toby he backs out at the last second he doesn't go through with it but somehow like his closest admirer and confidant and mentee in some ways of Dwight is the person he's willing to screw over the most it just doesn't fully make sense there weren't a lot of like comedic moments to it I guess when Michael was acting like Willy Wonka and like trying to do a somersault and be all like fanciful, that was part of it. But it really is back to almost like season one, early season two, Michael, where he's just more along the lines of of David Brent, the character it's supposed to be modeled after in the sense of just being so mean-spirited. I don't see it that mu- that way quite as much. Like, yes, he is a jerk in this episode, but I think this is another episode that kind of highlights the relationship between Dwight and Michael, but most specifically the comedic chemistry that Steve Carell and Rain Wilson have. That's a good point. One thing I do want to add to this, though, is that while this is all nice and all, that this ended up not completely blowing up in Dunder Mifflin's face, Jim seemingly still gets screwed over in all of this. That's true. He's He's, still going to lose 50% of commission. Yeah, he loses his commission. And while it has a huge payoff for the company at large... I don't think Jim is getting anything else from this. I mean, I guess that is really true. maybe since Blue Cross Blue Shield is now ordering all their paper supplies from Dunder Mifflin, like that commission might come to Jim. But then again, it could also be just a corporate wide order. And like Jim may have even lost a client overall. For this because they are no longer dealing with the Scranton branch itself. They are dealing with Dunder Mifflin as a whole. And I guess the orders would be larger if they're getting envelopes, more paper, etc. But still, that might not be enough to offset, okay, you get all this for 50%. He's still losing, you know, 50% of all those orders. So he could have had a really big commission payoff. 
So, yeah, I mean, I think he still has grounds to be upset. And that would be another thing that this idea needing to really be fully vetted because of the pay structure and how that's going to impact uh, a salesperson. Yeah. Curtis, before we move on to our other topic, do you like the movie Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? Either version. I've only seen the Johnny Depp version maybe once, and it is really weird. Yes. I think they tried to embrace the fact that the original one was super weird, and so they were like, oh, we can make this one super weird too, and they just kind of went too far with it. I do enjoy that the original, though, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um I think I forget how long of a movie it is. It is pretty long, yeah. And it does have a certain like level of nostalgia to it and the the whimsy of it is very fun. I mean, but I think people focus on just that one scene where they go into the area where everything is edible and would be just like man that would be really cool that that would be awesome like i would i would enjoy that i would eat everything there and you forget about the rest of the movie which is super weird i thought you were going to talk about the scary boat scene well yes there is also that (laughs) yeah it's fun like the music is fun the book is obviously very good and there's changes obviously from book to movie but um it is very long and it's weird they to me that there's two books and they never did the second movie. Yeah. I think I read, I think I started reading Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I ever finished it. I finished it. I don't fully remember it now because it's been years. But I like Roald Dahl. It was good. Yeah. I think there is a certain aspect. That's another thing about the, the movie over the book where the movie is super dark in times and in the book you there is like at the end when Charlie wins the factory and all that stuff like you see there is a a scene there is a description of the other kids walking out of (laughs) the factory and you you know um I think it's Violet they had to put her in no it's mike mike tv is put in the taffy puller and so when he leaves he's this this tall uh skinny kid because he got shrunk down right and so there's that but like in the movie it's just like did they all die that's the thing it seems like the kids are just gone yeah but it is like i said it's it's an enjoyable movie it's one that i think if it's on and i'm not watching anything else i can just Put it on in the middle of the movie. Put it on as background noise and it'll be fine. Gene Wilder is fantastic in the movie, obviously. So what are your thoughts on on the movies? Uh, Don't really care for the Johnny Depp version. It's just so over-the-top weird. He really overplays the whole thing. The songs are odd. Um, And the whole thing with his childhood, too, is another thing. It's a weird Just a weird add-in. I know they're trying to distinguish it, um, but yeah, I like I like the movie. I'm surprised there's not more 
movies off of Roald Dahl things. Uh, I know there's the witches, but... There's several. They made the BFG. Oh, yeah, that James, wasn't that good. James and the Giant Peach. I did like that one. They should do Danny the Champion of the World. That seems like a very I haven't seen easy that. I haven't read that to one. adapt. I don't think there are any more. I'm the um the twits. I guess they did no. Fantastic Mr. Fox. Okay. I guess there are a lot of movie adaptations. <laughs> I I stand corrected of uh, of Roald Dahl. Getting back to the episode, we have one very, very small, minor storyline, and that is Kevin trying to decide his next move with Lynn, which is the woman whom he met at the Lonely Hearts party in the previous episode. He is getting dating advice from Andy, Jim, and Pam, and they are all on kind of varying spectrums as to how kevin should proceed andy is in a very very odd camp of this is all about power and if you do anything in terms of communication or sharing your feelings or physical touch or anything like that you are giving away your power in the relationship and so andy almost makes it seem like no you should never talk to this person you should wait for them to come to you Yes, basically. Andy is still quite scarred from his relationship with Angela and pretty much tells Kevin just one off the top, just very terrible advice. But yeah, just pretty much tells Kevin he shouldn't date her at all. All he's asking for is a bunch of heartbreak. Don't even interact with her. And if you do compliment her, it needs to be met with some sort of put down so that you're not giving her any power Jim and Pam are overhearing this while they're getting coffee in the kitchen area and just saying that's pretty insane if you like her ask her out Jim's advocating for a slower approach saying you know start strike up a conversation maybe you can you know work in a joke together or build up a rapport essentially and then in a month or two if it feels right you should ask her out and Pam's like oh my god you don't have to wait a month or two you had a nice conversation with her just recently you don't want to sort of kill that momentum just ask her out now I yeah and this is I think this is kind of a sign of the times thing I think I think the now the etiquette if you will is somewhere between Jim and Pam. <laughs> I think that with the rise of texting and online dating, it's very easy to instantaneously get to know somebody without like being face to face or being trapped in say in this in this sense if Kevin is wanting to get to know Lynn before like meeting with her in a dating setting because apparently she works in the in the area like there's a shot of her getting on the elevator with jim pam and kevin and so she works in the office building somewhere they see each other or it would be easy for them to see each other fairly often but kevin is probably getting to know lynn through a phone call and so or email, because they right, exchange emails. Right, they exchange emails. emails, right. 
And so it's easier now with just easy back and forth communication through text or online dating messaging to get to know somebody without getting stuck in a phone call with that person and like maybe just kind of sitting there like would a phone call be so bad yeah because if you don't know what to talk about like if you aren't that great at conversation which kevin probably isn't like it it would seem disastrous if you start getting into just pleasantries and then all of a sudden like there's just these long awkward pauses sure i don't think you can exchange messages over text or email for too long though agreed agreed that's why i'm saying there is kind of this middle ground like pam is advocating hey if you like her just call her and ask her out on a date and jim is like eh, you know what build up some rapport and then in a month or so ask her out on a date now like that month or so can take place in that two or two-ish week window because you can have that instantaneous conversation yes it's true it the texting is a pro and a con to dating i feel like sometimes because it's easy to get into a really gray area with it and it's also really easy to ghost someone with texting or to cancel at the last minute sure and kevin is just so confused by all this advice he says he's a classic overthinker especially when he's getting different advice from a lot of different people and we do see later in the episode andy jim and pam in a conference room sort of fighting about the best way to move forward with this and it seems like Jim and Pam are more disagreeing with each other and Andy's just there saying like no relationships ever he's putting his heart out there just to be burned and he's got a lot of healing to do from his time with Angela yeah and the reason that Jim and Pam are disagreeing is because Jim is they they are essentially Jim especially is essentially describing their relationship Yeah, he's describing his approach. Correct. And so Pam being burned by this, burned, quote unquote, burned by this twice in the sense that she was stuck waiting around for Roy and Jim also kind of drug his feet about expressing his feelings for Pam. And so she has seen what slow playing it she has seen where that goes. What's your dating style? I'm probably closer to Jim. <laughs> I I am I feel like I'm like Kevin in the sense of like I would be nervous for the rejection, I guess. And then in in kind of that next step phase of all right, we've we've hung out a couple times where do you see this going i am hesitant to take that step as well because again with the rejection but like if i think that things aren't going well i don't want to bring that up and then like put that in that person's head like oh well yeah maybe maybe things aren't going great or maybe i'm not that into this 
What about you? Uh, as I've said on the show before, I was not a good dater. I just got lucky with you. I would say in my 20s, I was sort of a slow player, but also because I was often in the position of not knowing where I stood with someone or, you know, being one of like 10 options, etc. Uh, I would say that, you know, since meeting you, obviously, um, you know, I asked you out. I think we told that story before. Curtis tried to essentially not go on the date with me. <laughs> it bothers me that you get, you think that that's so funny. And... <laughs> it, I'm just teasing you. I know that you weren't outright <laughs> saying no. I'll just say his initial answer wasn't yes. It was, well, I'm really busy a lot of nights. And so he was trying to explain his availability yes exactly i was being considerate (laughs) and i was and you you always leave out that last part of this of the follow-up to that was but i can meet any time around these he was definitely work trying to figure out when we could get together yes and i think and i've said this to curtis recently i think being with curtis gave me a lot of confidence and made me realize like how many uh Peter Pan syndrome just straight garbage men I had been around and or trying to date prior to him and realizing like I have value as a person and can be treated respectfully and so I'm not out there dating now but because of that confidence, I realized how much I didn't have confidence before Curtis and how much I would have been willing to just sort of be, you know, whiplashed around on, okay, is this a date? Is it, are we friends? Is this going somewhere? And then just getting the old, well, I'm not looking for a relationship. And then two weeks later, this guy's like full on dating somebody else, uh, sort of thing. And I will just say dating is so hard. I do not envy anyone and I feel incredibly lucky to not be out there in the dating pool so hopefully nothing ever happens to Curtis where he doesn't decide one day that he's done so I don't have to do it (laughs) again you don't have to worry about that thank you dear so Kevin kind of goes on his own way here and he meets Lynn in the parking lot and just says to her, I'm just going to say what's on my mind. I really like you. I think we should hang out. Do you want to go to dinner and a movie? And Lynn says, yeah, I'd like that. And so Kevin just kind of throwing caution to the wind really kind of pays off for him here. Yeah. I mean, they had met seemingly at least three, maybe four weeks ago at this point. They've probably been emailing. I think it makes logical sense to be like, let's go on a date. Let's see where this goes. And that really does it for this episode. So let's go to the annex with the internet and find out any fun facts about the episode. No real fun facts. It was written by Mindy Kaling. We don't really see Meredith or Phyllis in this episode, maybe in the backgrounds. Or Kelly, now that I think about yeah, it. Yeah, um, or Toby. And so really this is a episode that's really focused on the big four with a little bit of Kevin and Andy thrown in at certain times. Oscar gets a couple lines, but it's pretty Michael and Dwight heavy. 
Curtis, who gets fired this episode? We lose Dwight for slapping Michael for the in, during the KGB joke. We lose Jim for slapping Dwight during his KGB joke. And we lose Michael for kind of just gross incompetence, just flagrant mismanagement, trying to talk Dwight into falling on the sword for him. Yeah, I think the pressure campaign's pretty bad. Yeah. What is your Dundee for this episode? Uh, my Dundee is the most subtle Raw Doll reference. It goes to Pam when she is listing off the excuses that Michael has given to her so that she can provide when he's ducking a phone call. And that is trapped in an oil painting. And that is a reference to the witches. I did not know that. Yes. So in the witches, one of the powers of the witches, I guess, is, you know, they're very interested in eating children and turning them into mice. And one of the ways in which they torture children is to trap them in oil paintings. And so it's very subtle. I, if I had not watched The Witches again over Halloween, I don't think I would have caught it again. Um, and Pam does say she's going to save that excuse. Doesn't want to lead with that one. What is your Dundee? The Ben Franklin Award goes to Michael for being just a treasure trove of ideas. Um, <laughs> when he and Dwight are on their stroll... And Michael is trying to talk up the fact that Dwight has all these things going for him. With the beet farm, he would be just fine if he were to get fired. Dwight brings up the fact that Michael has shoo-la-la in the works. And Michael says, no, it's just not ready. And Michael describes shoo-la-la as a fancy men's footwear store for just all the moments of a man's life. And then later on, when Michael bursts into the marketing meeting and is trying to prove that the golden ticket idea was in fact his, he starts listing off all these other ideas that he has, one of which is the toilet net, so none of your things fall out of your pocket into the toilet, which doesn't make any sense. No. Also, that would catch your... Uh, feces and urine so not great and the toilet sponge which would I guess take the the place of toilet paper yeah so Michael is just spouting out all these ideas that he has just get a bidet Michael yeah (laughs) who is your employee of the month This was a tough one to choose because Dwight didn't really come out looking great to David. So I just went ahead and went with Kevin. As did I. Since he decided on his own, you know, took in the advice he got from Jim, Pam, and Andy and really decided he was just going to go for it with Lynn. Right. So that does it for this week's episode. Please follow us on Twitter at DownsizingPod to get all the latest updates. And continue listening to us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you are listening to us. Be sure to rate, subscribe, like, and comment wherever you can in order to get our name out there. We appreciate you guys listening, and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.